The following is a message from Reverend Ken Belden of Wellsprings Congregation. So that song that we just sang, Let It Out, you know where you might have seen it the first time? I know where I saw it, and I say saw it intentionally. It is from the new ad campaign by Kleenex. (laughs) They have, let us say, a little bit of self-interest in you and in us letting it out. And no, the Kleenex people are not underwriting this sermon today. They should, though. It is, I think, an absolutely brilliant ad campaign, particularly around the holiday season, particularly this time right now when some of us are crying tears of reunion or loss or happiness or loneliness, time of the year in which, let's face it, a lot of stuff tends to come up to the surface for us. But really what I think the commercial is, is this, that the people in the ad, and they probably are somewhat staged, but I'm going to suspend all disbelief, and to me, they're absolutely real. And that blue couch, they were just invited off the street, and they're sitting down. Sometimes truth is not quite as good as we might imagine it to be. People are talking about loss. They're talking about birth. They're talking about death. They're talking about love. They're talking about belonging. And their tears in the ad, what they really express is wholeness. That hope that we can be completely at peace within our own lives. That when you get down to the heart of the matter, what really matters is our hearts. And that at the base, at the base, everything is so acceptable, everything belongs with us that we can even cry out loud in the middle of a busy street. It reminds me, and actually there's a line in the song that's a little bit odd. They talk about collecting the tears in the jar and we'll drink them later. I don't know what that drink them later thing is about. That's kind of weird. But it actually does harken back to an ancient Greek practice. Maybe some of you have heard about this, the tear jar. It's the idea that especially in an arid climate like ancient Greece was, that our tears are a form of like the original holy water. That they are a form of sanctifying life, life's meaning, life's blessings, life's struggles, life's losses. Our tears are a sacred offering given back to life's meaning. And this is what the ad shows. That we can reveal, or we hope we can reveal, who we really are. No shame, no guilt, nothing to hide. Just let it out. See those uh, conversations. Like that true encounter we all hope for. That true encounter where we strip away all the artifice and all the masks and all the facades that we might put up, and we're left with only this, which is the most important thing, the most authentic person that we can be, the genuine article, the genuine article of faith. And so this commercial expresses in its own little and wonderful way that hope of real communion with this life, of true togetherness, that we actually can be together as a person, have integrity, and actually show that to another person, other people, and it can all be accepted and acceptable. Now you can say... And just this past week, we celebrated or mourned, actually both, I did it, the death of one who called himself a dreamer, but he wasn't the only one. John Lennon, his assassination, still so sad after all these years. It is kind of that childlike dream. Heard at the holidays sometimes, Tiny Tim's voice, God bless us, everyone, that in Dickens' hope, love could conquer all. 
It's also like the words of that great old black church spiritual, going to sit at the welcome table, going to sit at the welcome table, going to sit at the welcome table one of these days. All are welcome, come as you are, and let your deepest being receive the deepest blessing that you can accept. I think this is the greatest of all the spiritual hopes, especially in a liberal religious community like Wellsprings is, part of Unitarian Universalism, where what we don't say is that we will promise to show you exactly as the mind of God is. We're going to lay bare all the mysteries of the universe. We're going to give you more knowledge, more power, more, 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 more. We believe in abundance here at Wellsprings. But it's not about just enlarging your sense of power of what you can control. I think really the deepest blessing is this, that our lives can be fully blessed. That is the deepest spiritual hope. Years ago, when I was just starting divinity school, this was 1992, and I was not at a place in my life where, shall we say, I was terribly conscious of what I was doing. Ivy League school, yes, 1992. Graduate school it seemed to be all okay on the outside, but inside I was really just a 22-year-old scared kid with no idea what he wanted to do with his life, and it was 1992, and the economy absolutely sucked, so what better to do than hide myself in graduate school for a couple of years? And we were sitting there talking with each other in these sort of you know, encounter groups that they have in the beginning of orientation, and I was going around, and I forgot forget what I said. It probably was something of no substance whatsoever, probably something hyper, hyper intellectualized that I said to impress the other people and probably failed. And there was this one woman who was in the doctoral program. She was already a minister. She wasn't serving a church, but religion and spiritual community had been part of her life for a very long time. And she said this when we were asked about the content of our religious lives. She said, I go to church because I'm reminded there of who I am, of who God knows me to be. There I can be real and I'm reminded, actually I'm not just reminded, I'm challenged there that I can be real all the time in my life. It's not a statement of dogma. It's a statement of purpose. And it is a challenge. It's a challenge for all of us, especially those of us who've grown up, hopefully into maturity in some ways. That challenge of being real can be really, really tough. How often, and you can really answer this in your own lives more than I certainly can answer it for you, how often do you turn away, afraid to face the world with your truest face, even if you don't like that true face sometimes, or you're ashamed of it? How practiced we all are as adults at putting on... the poker face. The blank. The expression mask of competence, at bluffing our way through our emotions and our thoughts and our feelings. It's very much like, very much like the first scene in this morning's drama. Again, you didn't really hear the words coming from this side of the stage. What you heard was the couple expressing a bunch of well-meaning, but still very much lies to each other about what was really going on in their lives. Most of what we would have heard if we listened to the dialogue between the two of them was just silence. And we could see that because they did not share the truth of their lives with each other, what they did was express no mercy for each other and no mercy for themselves. There is no mercy in a poker face. There is no compassion in a blank. There is no sympathy in hiding who we are. See, because what happens when we really express who we are, just like in the wonderful commercial, there is that mirroring that happens. 
We get to see another person's face. And when we can see some of those tears, sometimes that unlocks our own. And when we see and hear another person's laughter, well, sometimes that just seems to force it out of our own mouths magically. But there is no mercy in a poker face. Just a blank. Like recently, I was in the supermarket, and it was a classic scene between mother and child. This maybe two, three, four-year-old boy was in the front seat of the stroller and was doing, ah, and, ah, and, you know, I mean, all the kinds of things that, you know, little boys and little girls like to do. And the line came, stop doing that or your face will freeze. (laughs) I don't know how many of your parents have ever told your kids that just because you were so annoyed and you're like, okay, maybe I can scare them into compliance. You better stop doing that or your face will freeze. The thing is, no one ever really cautions us as adults. We have to be wary of this ourselves. And maybe our best friends can do this for us. Maybe that's one of the reasons why we come to the spiritual community. You keep hiding yourself away. You keep putting on the poker face. You keep pretending as if everything is just okay. I'm okay. You're okay. Everything's okay. Just the blank. You keep hiding your face that way. And you know what? Maybe not just your face will stay that way, but your soul and your heart will come to look that way as well like a spiritual form of Botox. Maybe really good in those business meetings we don't want to show our hand, but it's not good at all when it comes to authentic belonging to and with each other. Real maturity in life, real emotional maturity, real interpersonal maturity, real spiritual maturity comes in being able to express that full range of humanness, the fullness and the wholeness of who we are even when we don't feel particularly full or particularly whole in our sacred stories. And our sacred stories are are reflections of ourselves at our best and our worst. They are not divine script. They do not come down from heaven. Rather, they extend from us upward toward heaven or down into heaven, wherever you locate your holy realm. Our holy stories express what we would hope to be. And in this season, I think it makes sense to take a look at the gospel stories once more. See, because the ancient Jews, these first century Palestinian Jews, and I say Jews because very often in this culture we forget that Jesus was a Jew and his followers were Jewish. There were no such thing as Christians in the first century Palestine. They were Jews and a wild variety of them. And the Jews, I think, of that time started to really wrestle with this idea of what is the proper understanding of what God could be for us. And just this past week, I got an email. I know some of you know the name John Spong. He's the wonderful, radical, just absolutely visionary critic and, and exemplar of a truly progressive kind of deep spirituality. He sent out something that I just want to use this past week to frame what I'm going to talk about. He's writing to someone who's talking about how do we get beyond all just the human images of God and get down to the real genuine article. And he's saying, well, finally you can't. All we can do is have humility. He says, please remember while while the experience of God may be a universal experience, all our explanations of the God experience is always a human creation shaped by the perceptions of people living in history. That is why literalizing our religious formulas, making them into hardened dogma and hardened creeds is so destructive of ourselves and our world. I believe that the best religious language is, frankly, not science, but poetry. Poetry and metaphor. Not defining something down, but rather opening something up. And what I believe in the Jesus story is that these ancient Hebrews really experienced what we call a paradigm shift. An absolute shift in their consciousness of what they thought God could be for them. 
You see, because if you read a lot of the Hebrew Scriptures, you have a lot of God as absolute power, a lot of God as absolute control, as lawgiver, as father, as king. Symbols of distant power and control. And so I hear the Gospel writers asking a different question in the birth narratives of Jesus. And there's more than one. They don't all fit together. Scripture contradicts itself all over the place. It doesn't go together seamlessly. That's fine. We don't go together seamlessly either. They're asking themselves this question. What has real power, real authority, personal authority, spiritual authority, because we're tiring of all these images of absolute power? Perhaps. Perhaps that's why the ancient Hebrews decided to set the face of the divine in the face of a child. Holy infant vulnerable, needing other people, not self-sufficient, completely different from all those images of absolute power and self-control that we think of when we think of kings and rulers and those who would hold power over us. See, because this gets down to a really important distinction in all of our lives, that there is a difference, the most important difference between power on one hand and authority on the other. Power is about the ability to control and the ability to shape and, frankly, very often the ability to make you do what I want you to do if I have power. You could resent it. You could loathe me. You could hate me. You could mutter all the way to the bank. But power will get you to do what I want you to do. But, of course, this is not healthy. And on the other hand, there is authority. Break the word authority down. Author. It's not just about power to control To author something is to create it. A truly creative power when we have authority, which is different, different from power over other people. And we know that creation requires vulnerability. Anyone who's ever started a new congregation, any of you women who have given birth, any of us who have truly launched something new in our lives, we know that creation is an act of vulnerability. Not power, but authenticity expressed in our vulnerability to understanding new things. And in the story, this is exactly why King Herod, what does he want to do? He wants to kill Jesus. He wants to kill baby Jesus. Because, what does he represent? Power. He represents the ability to get you to do what you want to do under coercion and threat of force, even if you don't want to do it. But perhaps the ancient Hebrews, having a better idea of authority, wanted to say, well, this vulnerable little child might represent a better way of being. That the holiness within all of us can be expressed not through power, but through authenticity, through vulnerability. That is the seat of our authority. Now, very often in my life, I run up against a lot of situations in which I hear the voice of power wanting to control me. In which I hear, put on the poker face, put on the mask of competence, put on the face that says, It's all good. I'm all in control. But there are better ways to meet that which we cannot control. We meet it in prayers that are open and honest that do not say, gimme, 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 or please, 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 but rather let me open up towards a world that I seek to understand more. It is understood better in the silence and peaceful of meditation that seeks to know our minds and the contents of our minds. And there is one particular meditation that I have had with me for about well over a decade now. I think I've told some of you this before, but I want you to try it. 
when I run up to a situation that I cannot control, that really scares me, and I want to put on that mask of confidence, this is what I do. I breathe in and ask myself the question, what am I? Breathe in, what am I? Breathe out, answer the question, don't know. Breathe in, what am I? Breathe out, don't know. I'm not finished, I'm not done. I haven't learned all the things that I need to learn. See, this kind of real vulnerability is not at all immaturity. It is practicing a full presence in this life. See, sometimes people think to express vulnerability is to be on your way to showing everything you are on the Jerry Springer show. It's not what we're talking about with an authentic understanding of our full humanity. I'm going to show you something in just a second here. I'm going to ask you to call it up. There's a fellow named Moez Masood, and he is one of a new generation. It's a very hopeful thing, a new generation of Islamic teachers. He's very young. I think he's younger than me. I think he's in his mid-20s. And what he does is he's actually very comfortable with Western values in the Western world. He has a very personal understanding of the Quran, of the Islamic traditions and the Muslim faith. And what he is doing in this video, I'm going to show you just the first minute of it, is he is addressing a collection of people. You all remember the controversy that erupted a few years ago of when the Danish cartoonists wrote those cartoons, those pictures that were taken to be offensive to many Muslims worldwide of the Prophet Muhammad. Now, the secularist in me, that who believes in the you know, right to free speech for all of us, says, do they have a right to? Absolutely. But stopping the conversation right there is so superficial. And so as Maez Masood is talking about in this video, he is addressing a collection of secular Danes and Muslim Arabs. And I want you to hear his voice when he's talking about vulnerability and letting the facade drop away. Please go ahead. I would like to start by that I came to stand right next to you to make you cut the intro short <laughs> because I wanted to speak from my heart and not to any particular position that uh, this temporary world may have given me. I'm also being very challenged right now, although I am a public speaker, because I want to say a meaning that is very sincere. I think sincerity is something that is very difficult and a very rare commodity nowadays. I'm speaking for myself. I think that the very word personality, finding its root in the Latin word persona, means mask. And I just don't want to have a mask as I speak. And I'm hoping that before we all leave, as I'm sure a lot of us have already done, we have shed our masks and we've truly looked at each other's faces, trying to genuinely understand what each of us on the other side truly represents. Thank you. Thank you. I'm hoping we can let our masks go and drop. And he's there as an authority. He's there because he represents, I guess you could call it power within the Muslim community. And he goes up there without text. And he goes up there without notes. And what he says is this. Our aim is to open up towards each other. Not to continue to wear those masks, that facade, that persona of implacability or of controlling everything. Moez Masood refuses to wear the poker face. He knows that the things that can heal nations and can heal the rifts between peoples and can heal the kind of intolerant religious fundamentalism that is literally taking our world apart right now 
is only authenticity. That is the only cure for what ails us. This comes up over and over again from that lineage that Moez Vasud finds himself in. It's in the stories of the infant Jesus who becomes the grown-up, and I choose this word very intentionally, the rabbi Jesus. That's what his followers called him, rabbi, teacher. Think of perhaps one of the most well-known stories associated with the rabbi Jesus, the Good Samaritan. Think of the Good Samaritan story. You all basically know the outlines of it. It is also, by the way, a completely universalist story. Those who want to say Jesus speaks only for the few, well, the Good Samaritan story is about all of us. I'm going to give you a little context about this. The Good Samaritan, well, historically it would be like the Jim Crow South. It would be like this is a story told from the perspective of a white person in Jim Crow South who has all the privilege and all the power and all the law on their side. Samaritans were thought of in ancient Israel with the same invective and the same hatred that very often whites in the South 50, 60, 70, 80 years ago used to say the N-word. Okay? That's how radical this story is that he's telling about the Good Samaritan. And you know the story. is that there is a man who has been robbed and beaten, who lies in the ditch. And the priest sees him there and says, I'm not going to go touch that. <laughs> Making me too feel too vulnerable. I'm going to walk over to the other side of the street. And another person of power walks by. I'm not going to help. The person who stops and helps is the outsider. It's the Samaritan who makes himself or maybe herself vulnerable. It's the Samaritan who says, I will choose a different kind of authority that doesn't separate me away from the world, but rather brings me close to those who are struggling. It's also true in what Jesus preaches about. It's not just for those who offer help, but those who ask for it as well. If you're familiar with any of the healing stories, and the healing stories are a lot of magic, I don't know what happened. I can't answer that. There's a really cool thing that happens in all the healing stories. The lepers, the blind the widows, the orphans, all the people that legalistically, according to that dogmatic form of religion that was practiced at the time, all those people who were considered unclean and had no power, you know what they did? When they approached Jesus for asking for healing, they say, I need your help. It is not, I'm okay, you're okay. It is not, eh, I'm a leper, big deal. I know you wouldn't pay attention to me anyway. It is not I'm a widow with a dead son. I know I'm supposed to be on the margins. It is, this is the true reality of my life, and would you offer me the help that you can? It is very much associated with that biblical phrase, a wonderful one. Ask, and ye shall receive. But first, you've got to ask. First, you've got to ask, and you've got to say what's really going on. You've got to drop the mask of the poker face. You've got to stop saying, I'm okay, you're okay. Because the converse of ask and ye shall receive is pretend like you know it all and you'll get nothing. Ask and ye shall receive. See, unless we reveal a truth, a deep truth about our lives, nothing really changes. Nothing in kind gets revealed back to us. And I heard this kind of authentic voice this week. It's a friend of mine, a guy I'm not even really all that close with. And he was writing me, and I'm going to strip out all the information that would identify him because he really shared a lot with me in this email. And we were talking about some professional stuff upcoming, maybe six months, eight months down the road. And I said at the end of the email, you know, that sort of typical thing, I hope you're doing well. Easy way to end the email. 
blessings can. And this was my friend's response. As for doing well, I cannot say in any or all honesty that things are going well. And I am committed to answering that question to friends with a better than, things are fine, response. My wife had another miscarriage this week, another one. And I continue to experience much sadness over my departure from my job. Despite this, I can think of things that could be happening in my life that could be worse. And I am grateful for the support of all of those, most importantly, my wife. My only hope is that I am able to return to her the support that she has given me. She has taken all of her miscarriages much harder than I have. Now this kind of authentic reaching out, this stops you in your tracks. And here we were just exchanging emails back and forth, planning, planning for the future, and bang, I asked a question I wasn't even sure I wanted the answer to. And he gave it to me. And he stopped me. Like the second scene in our drama today. When we authentically reveal who we are, amazing things can happen. Because the truth of our lives will out. The truth of our lives is revealed. And the poker face drops. And I love hearing the voice of people, particularly my fellow men, when they say, as my friend did, I'm not going to answer the question with the poker face. I am determined not to do that. And so by doing, he opened a channel of a stream of love and belonging and authenticity between us that wouldn't have existed otherwise. Perhaps because my friend mentioned their attempts at getting pregnant, I thought of two of the villains of this season who had their hearts turned by the little ones, by children. I think of Scrooge and I think of the Grinch. They define themselves solely by their power, by their gruffness, by their being they are convinced unloved and unlovable. And whether it's Tiny Tim or whether it's Cindy Lou Who, is that her name from the Valley of the Who's? Those of you with kids probably know this better. Sometimes I have to remember this stuff. Their hearts are turned. Their hearts are opened. Their hearts actually receive that hope that holiday Christmas kind of hope that love might conquer all and all of our lives could be blessed. Because in the end, power cannot crack our shell open. Power, force cannot bring our poker face to a close. Only the authenticity of another person's presence or the authenticity of our love can do this. Only the authority of love can really open us up towards each other. Thomas Merton, some of you know, was a Cistercian monk, and he lived in a community outside of Louisville, Kentucky for many years, and he was really one of the first people in the West to try and cross over that religious divide that celebrated West from East, and so he took a lot of Zen Buddhist teachings into his practice, and he was outside of a shopping mall one day in the early 60s, and he had a profound vision, a shopping mall, as we could be, as we might be as human beings. And he says... Then it was as if suddenly I saw the secret beauty of their hearts, the core of their reality, the person that each one is in God's eyes. If only, if only they could see themselves as they really are. If only we could see each other as we really are. 
There would be no more war, no more hatred, no more cruelty, no more greed. I suppose the only problem would be then that we would fall down and worship each other. This is a vision, kind of like John Lennon's vision. You may say I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. And what happens with visions is that we take strides to make them real. Not expecting perfection, but hoping for progress. This vision is a vision of devotion, of what we can offer the world. Not recently, actually quite recently, I was at Louisville, Kentucky myself. And I was gathered with a number of other Unitarian Universalist ministers, 12 of us. 12, that's sort of a magical religious number for a lot of people. And we were gathered there by the UUA, the Unitarian Universalist Association growth team. And they wanted to hear, because all of us were involved in growing ministries, different kind of ministries that were bringing new people into our congregations. And they really wanted to hear how we were doing it. They wanted us to talk about technique. They wanted us to talk about how are you getting it done. Show us so we can take that information and we can just... Actually, I almost fell off. That we can... That's part of being vulnerable up here, you know? Is you never get to tell what you're going to step on or step through or step off. They wanted to know how. And we, as a 12, said, uh-uh. Not even consciously. Every time they wanted to know the nuts and bolts, we kept coming back to love. <laughs> we kept coming back to devotion. What was sustaining our ministries? What was sustaining our churches? It was this sense of being truly, deeply devoted. But really what it boiled down to for the twelve of us was love. The kind of love that sees as Thomas Merton hopes we could see. The deep authenticity of all of our lives that knows who we could be. If only we would let some of those masks drop. And so I came up with a little slogan at the end. Some of you might have heard this idea of deeds, not creeds, attached to Unitarian Universalism. I hate that. I cannot stand it. Deeds, not creeds. We do. We don't believe. Horse blank, you know. How can you do something if you don't have an idea of the reality that you're doing it for? You've got to believe something. What we don't have as Unitarian Universalists is a creed that we say, you must believe. We allow diversity of belief, but we invite belief. So it's not deeds, not creeds, can't stand it, get rid of it. You'll never hear me talk about it except for the kind of thing I'm doing right now when I'm criticizing it. (laughs) I said what we can offer the world is this, though. And maybe it is our new slogan. We can offer the world devotion, but not dogma. Devotion. A devotion to the truth and authenticity and meaning of our lives and all that our lives contain. Because some will say... Churches like this can't grow. Liberal religious folks can't offer to the people that absolute core belief of, you know what, you can go to church and understand all the mysteries of the universe, or at least an understanding that we are giving you all the mysteries of the universe. Most people wouldn't sacrifice their intellectual capacity and integrity for that. But I think what people, and I know what I have always looked for in spiritual community, is that place of belonging, that place of authenticity, that place where 15 years ago when I heard it, as that PhD student was talking about her church, she was saying, I can be real there. And they call me to be real all the time. That is a devoted calling. That takes practice. This is what we can offer the world. Maybe you hear some of your friends talking about at times, God, I'm so sick of it. So sick of the games. So sick of feeling, is that all there is? What we're here for is to say, no, that's not all there is we can come and be together in that ancient and holy quest to be real people. 
That is the promise we offer each other. And it is a devotion to the whole truth of our lives. And at this holiday season, I can think of no other gift than I would wish for you than this. Be real. Be authentic. Know your vulnerability. Let the mask drop. Don't wear the poker face. I don't want it in here. Let's be together. Amen. May you live in blessing. Thanks for listening to this message from Wellsprings Congregation. If you'd like to find out more about us, you can reach us at wellspringsuu.org. Thank mm-hmm. you.